From high above First Street South in expositional Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs taught gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are bonus content and giving talks, presentations, and the like. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. <laughs> it's kind of weird hearing the, the theme. Yeah. Because <laughs> when we were doing it, when we, we when we do it online, we don't hear the theme. So, yeah. like, it's, it's weird. A little. <laughs> I, I hear the theme. That's because I'm running it off my machine. Right, yeah. But yeah. it is sort of funny because I'm, from the beginning, I was always, like, trying to, like, the, the song is written yep. so that we can kind of time our intros with some variability. Yeah. So it's not that difficult. But when you're doing one and you get it at a real good thing, it mm-hmm. feels good, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. <laughs> it does. The GDC episode that we just recorded, but listeners will have listened to a couple weeks ago. I feel like I really nailed that one. I felt really good about it. <laughs> Even nice though I didn't. Slash feedback. Yeah. <laughs> I, I swear, dear listener, we will get over the novelty of being back in the same room together eventually, <laughs> and we'll get down to brass tacks. We'll, we'll see. We'll get that. sick of each other. So. Yeah. <laughs> Ellen, you talked about playing uh, Greece a couple episodes back, and it says here in the notes that you finished it. I finished it. Yeah, I did. You like it? I did. Yeah. I did. It was really, gosh, it's a really pretty game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a really pretty game. It's pretty linear. Um, yeah. But it also really felt like a familiar journey. Uh, I think I talked about this in the show before, but like I have depression chronic depression and when i haven't been on medication i have gone through an experience and series of emotions and like processing that felt very familiar Mm -hmm. um i felt like that that game i don't think was specifically about depression right but it was it felt it felt like i don't know walked a similar path well yeah Mm -hmm. some of those experiences are almost universal in that way right Mm -hmm. so yeah sounds like greece captured that for yeah yeah so it was uh it was really good i really liked it um and I think I said it was pretty, but I'll say it again. Damn, it's a pretty game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that goes a long way towards like forgiving. It's sort of linear because it does it implies a lot of branching paths and then you're always disappointed that it doesn't, but like it oh it always makes up for it. And, yeah. like it feels good to play and it's it is just gorgeous. And like that always satisfied me with playing. Even when I got frustrated with some of the mechanics, I was like, I'm still great, I'm having a great time. Yeah. I'm just looking at it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and it isn't very long, right? Right. So right. And you can you can take that to the bank, right? Because it's only linear, and because it doesn't really provide you a lot of branching paths, like you know, it's going to be about this amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that sort of the like the predetermined length, more or less, and not a lot of variability there, also helps in its narrative design because mm-hmm. it's yeah. paced in a way that like lets all that stuff land mm-hmm. in a way that like if it were if it were more open, it would. You'd, I think a lot of players would lose a lot of what the story has to offer. Yeah, I think because it's so abstract. Um, another game that I've played a lot that kind of also resonated in a similar a similar theme was Night in the Woods. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one has really strong writing, right? And I yeah. think that's one of the things that makes that game work and makes those moments land the way that they do. Um, even though you can take a lot of paths through the game and you can explore different side stories and things like that and you can extend the gameplay a lot. Um, compared to if you just started and like ran through it, um, but with Greece being so abstract, it makes sense that it would kind of need to be structured that way for that to make for that to make sense. Um, bird was scary. That's all I have to say. 
scary bird. It, it, it it's also scary. Sometimes. What? It's like the game. <laughs> Sorry. No, the bird in Greece was scary. There was a bird. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary. Is it scary? Like, never mind. I, I'm I'm interested in the game, but I, I, yeah. it's gonna scare me. Oh no. It. Um, it wasn't like horror. Jump it's just scary. creepy. No, it's... there's a sense of like emotional foreboding. Yeah. Oh. That is like. Oh, okay. That yeah is extremely relatable. Sure. But also it's. That's it, a different. It's it can be rough. But it's but sure it's, it's not like it's not scary. It's like no dreadful the way you're describing. But it's it, not. Right? There's nothing. It, the atmosphere isn't yeah. dark or moody in that way. No, yeah, that's it's not the impression. Kind of I the got. Thing. Am I describing it okay, Ellen? It's, it's abstract. Shoot, it's hard, I didn't mean. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to describe. It's hard to describe. That's fair. Yeah. Okay, I'm just very sensitive to scary things. Yeah. That's all. So I that's why I was like, Ugh. but I mean, if it's yeah. a little part, then well, it depends. I'm probably guilty of not using accurate enough language. It is um, fine. It's not scary the way that I find wind turbines to be disturbing, right? Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. that kind of scary. Or we've talked or like about a jump scare. Scary. It's, it's not jump like, scare. It's just no, like no. this thing is there, and it's like that's why I was thinking like a sense of dread. It's existential kind yeah, of. That's yeah, that's what it is. Hey, yeah. okay. Yeah, as I you sit with that. it, and that's why the pacing is is kind of important. Yeah, as you sit with it, it's, it's sometimes it's not pleasant, but but you're but it's always gorgeous in the game. That, yeah, it's, there's no enemies cool. chasing you. Yeah, okay. There's there's one section underwater, I think, that yeah. feels a little how, bit. How long is the game? Like three hours or something. Mm-hmm. Okay, it depends on how many dead ends you want to run into. Oh yeah. sure. Okay. And I'm just guessing. It's been a while since I played it. So. Yeah. Okay. I cool. like ran into all the dead ends Maybe. just because I need to. I do too. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah. Maybe I'll uh, check that out. I think yeah, you should check it out. And it's not it's not jump scary. Okay. It's not That's a horror good. game. <laughs> That's good. It's That's good. it's a it's a game of psychological healing. Okay. That mm-hmm. just sounds the exact opposite of horror, so that's cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of horror games, you're playing Metroid Fusion. <laughs> I'm playing. People Metroid. think of, people think that game is scary. I didn't find that game yeah. scary when I played it, um, personally. But I know that a lot that's of because people... you're a toughie. No, that ain't <laughs> <laughs> I think I just proved. Oh, sorry, not. I was looking at the wrong notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, um. There's, I mean, it, there's it, the game kind of has that. Like, there's some. There's a, a force that's following you around a lot. Yeah. If you, how, I don't know how far you've gotten in it. Um, I just got to the zone three. Okay. Um, which is where you start getting into the hot stuff. Ooh, yeah. Uh, and I, oh yeah, I just found this digging robot that I'm having trouble oh, with. Oh, I think I kind of remember that. Yeah. Well, and the whole, the whole, like the whole premise of, I mean, so many Metro games is like you lose your stuff, right? Yeah. Um, but with Fusion, it's definitely like, you're supposed to feel helpless and you're supposed to feel like you're just barely making it. Um, yeah. And I definitely feel that. <laughs> See, it, yeah, when I played that game, I was like 12 or something, so I didn't really appreciate that. Right. Stuff. You were full You were full on like, give me power fantasy or yeah. go home yeah. kind of game. I think so, kind of, yeah. Like um, a lot of us were at that age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that's why I had played it. Also, I think that game is rated T. I don't think I was supposed to be able to play that one. Snuck that naughty, one. By naughty the little Steven. Uh, <laughs> well, and I've played the I've played the nonsense out of Super Metroid. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I think I can it's a good game. I can get to like ninety percent completion just on memory and it's been a long time since I played it. But uh-huh. like I felt so powerful at the end of that game, right? Yeah. You're supposed to. Mm-hmm. But that's that is like and I played the Metroid Prime titles as well, but like what sticks with me is like how freaking awesome you feel at the end of the game. Yeah. And then here you are in another Metroid game and you just have all of that done and you're like, I can't s- 
freaking beat the stupid boss, and if I had the screw attack, I totally could. Yeah. <laughs> You're supposed to feel that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm playing it on a uh, mobile emulator and using the Kishi, the Razer Kishi controller. Yeah. Um, I think it would be really, really, really difficult to try to just beat that with, like, the virtual buttons on a touch oh, screen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad we figured that out. I mean, you can always, like, grab an emulator and put it on your computer and whatnot, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, someone was saying there's no official way to get that game right now, unless you have an original hardware. Like, there's no virtual console. It's not on the Wii oh, online. Yeah. It's it's for for a headline a title in a one of their major franchises. It's kind of unusual. They well, might re-release it. Yeah, I mean, because Dread is coming. Yeah, right. Um, so it seems like it would be like, why not? Like, because I bet there are a lot of people who played Metroid and Super Metroid as when they were younger, and are like, oh, new, and and didn't play Fusion. Yeah, or or mm-hmm. Zero, or remake, mm-hmm. whatever. And so would be beneficial probably for them to release that but you know you never know what nintendo's gonna do yeah that's interesting like although i feel like the prime time to have released it would have been when they, you know gave the announcement for dread because yeah. yeah. like i'm playing fusion now because i want to have played fusion when dread comes out right yeah um and if they release fusion on the switch i will already be done with it <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah it, it's so funny uh, there's every time you read nintendo rumors it's always because it's like some new one of the big franchises that come out. Everyone's like, oh, they have a, a, a direct coming up. The timing is so perfect. They're going to announce a rematch. It's just uh, it's obvious. I'm not I'm not the first person to think about it. Of yeah. course, of course, it's going to happen. It doesn't uh-huh. happen because yeah. Nintendo's going to Nintendo. Yeah. And everyone is like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, why didn't that And then happen? it's the Pokemon. Uh, um, <laughs> what's it, the MOBA or whatever? Yeah. That's what people were like. I think people were expecting like a new Pokemon game uh, sequel to sword shield or something uh-huh. and then it was like the MOBA game um <laughs> the MOBA game is fun by the way y'all uh that's all i want to say yeah i was gonna say like tell me about it but like i don't know anything about mobas and anything about yeah no, so this i is don't like want to hear about the exact this. opposite <laughs> i just wanted to bring up that i'm playing it i didn't yeah. want to <laughs> i figured you wouldn't i just i've heard some people it. talking about it and i'm like i don't know anything about this and i'm like but i, I guess that's fine yeah <laughs> adding to the list of topics mark learns Pokemon. We did that. We did that once. We did that once. We got to do a part two because he still yeah. doesn't know anything about Pokemon. Part it's true. It didn't help me Jews. one bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know Pikachu is electric type now. Oh, right. You That's didn't... about it. It's hard not. To... His one tail pair. is a lightning I'm ball. telling you, I didn't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, bonus content. <laughs> <laughs> Well, before we get into the topics, Ellen, yeah. you, you, you were going to do a Twitter poll to see what she should play next. Oh, that's right. right? Yeah. Um, so by the time this comes out, I hopefully will have finished Metroid Fusion. Uh, and so I will put out a Twitter poll so people can vote on what I should play next. Mm-hmm. Just um, open to anything? Well, I'm going to put like four options out there. Oh, I see. Um, and I guess I could list the four titles that I'm thinking about right now or a couple of the titles I'm thinking about right now. But that means that I'm going to have to put the Twitter poll out. This episode airs in Oof, mid-August. Calendar math. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I think what I will <laughs> not, I don't, calendar math is hard, you guys. How about I just finish the game and I'll put it out on Twitter and if you catch it, you catch it. Cool. Yeah. Sounds cool. good. And if you didn't catch it, well, look for the next one because yeah. I'm terrible at tr- choosing which game I'm going to you know do next yeah. you have like it's decision paralysis right it's the whole like how many types of jelly do you want to look at in the supermarket if you have too many you can't make a decision you just leave and that's how, <laughs> how, that's how i sometimes feel about my game backlog yeah. so i'm going to outsource that responsibility to y'all um so look for the next twitter poll if you, if you missed this last one that we're mentioning now 
Yes. <laughs> I love it. It's, you're saying it with the confidence of someone who knows it's probably not available to listeners at this moment. At this moment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, don't make me commit to things. Yeah. Um, okay. My topic, uh, bonus content. So that means a lot of things. And I was trying to find like an actual term for this. But what I mean <laughs> is the kind of stuff that behind the scenes content you'd have in a game. Sort of like DVD extras, right? Yeah. But as I don't really know, we we looked, couldn't find a name for this for video games. Well, yeah, even behind the scene content doesn't quite accurately describe yeah. what we're looking at here. So. You'll you'll get like a deluxe edition of some game that'll come with a bonus something, and it will just have its own fun name for it. Yep. Um. So to clarify, you're not talking about DLC. No. No. And you're not talking about um like supplemental media like comics. Okay. I'm talking about like uh, developer commentaries, um, which are should be more common. Um, and I'm also talking about like art galleries. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe like th- there's like the the uh, the sound test menu yeah. on old games. That was more of that was actually <laughs> more of like a thing to make sure that your menu. audio was working correctly. <laughs> yeah, uh, I it, love those though. <laughs> but they they evolved and they're being sort of revived, yep. basically as a way to listen to music outside the context of the game. Also to hear things that maybe alternate versions and stuff like that. Um. Uh, so it's bo- so that it's fits. It's close enough. Some games really run with that mm-hmm. um, by including alternate uh, versions or different arrangements or whatever. Um, but yeah, just like stuff that is um th- that a fan of the game might want to see, and it usually would be otherwise would be on a website or on YouTube or something like that. So sometimes it'll be like behind the scenes documentaries. Like getting video content in video games is actually one of those things that's not as easy as it sounds. Yeah, and so that isn't you don't see that a lot. But for example, every time there's a bunch, there's a bunch of missed anniversary editions that will feature video content because that game is loaded structurally. That game has a lot of video content in it. Yeah. So it's like it was easy for them to just do that also. Right. Um, but you don't always see that, but sometimes you do. Or there would be games, you know, back when games were mo- almost exclusively shipped on on discs and boxes, uh, you sometimes it'd ship with a DVD like 20 minute feature or something. Yeah. Like the real big ones would sometimes do that. Yep. Um, but the first sort of content of this is is um is art galleries, which is really common, I think. Yes. Um is to have um sort of just like, you know, um behind the scenes stuff, concept art. And really I think a lot of this must have been born out of the fact that like uh for AAA games in particular, lots of material is produced. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And these days you see a lot of it on Twitter. Like after a game is released, the person will put it out and say, this is the concept that I did for this. Film. Yeah. But generally there was no way for people to experience that. And, and it was, I think it was important. It just felt like content that was just sitting on a shelf. What are we going to do with it? And so I think that became a natural outlet for it. But I think gamers really appreciate it yeah. um, to see that. And it's, um, I'm glad that that became a, a trend. Um, but then also sometimes there'll be a game that like doesn't have any of that stuff. And you're like, why? This seems like the perfect game that should, you know? Mm-hmm. And usually yeah. that stuff is, there's two ways you do it. You put it in a menu that's just there. Or you have some sort of unlockable system for it. Yeah. That's really mm-hmm. common. Sometimes it's just post-game. You, once you've beaten the game, you unlock the, the art gallery or whatever. Yep. Sometimes it's as you play the game. You, you unlock. You unlock pieces. Yeah. And then it becomes much more like tied to the mechanics of the game a little bit. Yeah. Um. I don't know that I love that necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think um, the one example where I thought did a pretty good job of it because it was actually very specific to gameplay was Paper Mario, the Origami King, okay. which is a recent example yeah. where one of the, there's a museum in town yeah. and that's where you can go and um, it's sort of basically, it's, a lot of Nintendo games have achievements. They just don't call them that. Yeah. And that's kind of what this is. Okay. Um, they do have it. But if you're playing <laughs> Paper Mario 
and you want to get all the stuff. You want to collect all the toads. You want to do like this is part of that. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really feel like extra. It feels like a part of the normal part of gameplay is to unlock all of the stuff. Um, less so, but what you were rewarded with is this bonus content. So it kind of draws the line. Am I making sense? It's like the pl- the. It's not something where it just happens to as you play it, it pops up or, or if you do it, an achievement style thing. Yes. The what you get rewarded for in Paper Mario is is good gameplay, right? It's not it's not unusual gameplay or exceptional gameplay. Um, and then you unlock all this concept art and like uh, 3D models of all the, the origami uh, uh, enemies yeah. and the bosses and just tons of content. And then there's there's a, 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 a music library that unlocks Yay. all the things and That's stuff. Good. And so they, they really go all out with that stuff in that mm-hmm, game. Mm-hmm. I think previous Paper Mario games did some similar stuff, but it, it's, it's they escaping definitely did right in now, the RPG exactly. ones. Yeah, did they? No, they did not. Oh, they did not. Okay. I, they might have done it in Super Paper Mario, but I'm, I don't yeah. know. It's been a while too. <laughs> <laughs> but I really liked it in there because it that, that felt, um, because it was part of the experience and didn't feel like it was bonus content you had to unlock by, by unlocking achievements, which is usually rewards for different style play or exceptional play yeah um i really enjoyed that it felt like more of the normal part of gameplay but for the most part i'm like if i want extras just give them to me like, yeah like, I, I kind of agree i i mean i think people sometimes they're motivated you know by unlockables we talked about unlockables in a previous episode yeah um and so like having them be unlockables allows people to keep playing the game and get content that they might want right um, it's an engagement strategy yes and so that is also that, that's not giving it any credit well yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. It's an engagement strategy, but I feel for me, the game has to engage me on its own merits. Yeah. Yeah. Before I will even be interested in extras about like the story of how the game came to be. I have to like the game or love the game sure, before sure. that. Yeah. That's kind of what I liked about the way Paper Mario did it is that it was it, it it was just part of normal gameplay. Yeah. Right. It was you didn't have to it was still optional in a sense. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was it was still a collect con but it was like a it's no better than collecting 100 feathers or puzzle pieces or something. It's, it was that kind of gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that's like, it is interesting to think about, especially at the indie scale, like when we think about our games, like we we have a hard time believing anyone would even want to play our games, much yeah. less would want to learn about the behind the scenes of it yeah, and how that stuff works. Um, but I, I think more people should do it. I, I, I don't know. It feels like a low impact way to, to, to add, have more in your game. Uh, even if it's not in your game, right? Uh, <laughs> <No>. say more. <laughs> uh, no. Um, um, um. So I, I, it, with respect to like movies and other things, I don't tend to like bonus content like this, like DVXs uh, and things okay. like that. So this is an itch you don't need scratched. Yeah, because I don't know. I don't care. That feel it feels bad to say. But it I is bad to say, Stephen. Oh. <laughs> Those people worked very hard. Exactly. And I appreciate that aspect of it. But like, I think some of it is like, I don't like knowing how the hot dog is made, I uh-huh. guess. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know. I it, it ruins a little bit of it for me. Still eat hot dogs. But um, <laughs> because you don't know how they're made. No, I know how they're made. I don't care don't about that. Me, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. But um, yeah, like, like it, it, it kind of ruins that for movies and stuff. I already know how games are made, though. So I'm a little more interested in it. And I'm also interested in it from a developer perspective. Yeah. Because I'm like, how did they, uh, you know, program this thingy yeah. and this thing to get the art the way they needed it to work or whatever? Mm-hmm. What, how, what did they make these design decisions such and such? 
Yeah, I was going to say like, oh, I, uh, DVD extras, the fact that they don't exist anymore, essentially, yeah. director's commentaries are almost never produced any longer. Yeah. I think it's a consequence that we don't ship DVDs, right? It's a consequence right. of how we do on streaming. I mean, a, a couple of streaming services have ways to have an extras tab or whatever, yeah. but that's more of a newer invention. And the, it's already been established that no one needs that anymore. And so there's not a consumer demand for it. So no one's making that stuff. Mm. I think that's one of the biggest tragedies of the 21st century. Yeah. Like well, that we don't know that. And but and but as you were saying, the, the reason you don't care, but that you care more about games because you make games. I'm like, well, I did make films. Right. And and well, so maybe that's why. But then I'm like, no, no, no. I you, love watching documentaries yeah. about how like, you know, a festival is put on. Yeah. You or, like knowing things, Mark. <laughs> so like, <laughs> that's a good thing, I guess. But I'm like, why wouldn't why isn't everybody? <laughs> there's, just, there's too many things. To I, guess, know. I guess my point is uh, that's true yeah but like when you say like ruins it i'm like oh no knowing how it's put together makes me appreciate it all the more because mm. i guess i can like there's this sort of like oh but I, I it mattered it was more important to me when it felt like magic and it's like maybe it's because i don't believe in magic it's <laughs> I, it's not that i think like because I, I i'm definitely aware that all these people are actors and you know they have a bunch of cg and they do all this yeah fancy it's a suspension of disbelief that you, that you yeah want i think yeah yeah there's a, there's aspects of it like it's it's kind of like when you've like watched a TV show and you really like a TV show, but then you find out that like the, the, the people who were in the TV show weren't actually friends like Mythbusters. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mythbusters is kind of like, I think they weren't like, they yeah. didn't hate each other or whatever, but like they weren't really friends. They didn't yeah. hang out after work or anything right. like that. Are you trying to hint anything to our listeners? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, we're all friends. We're going out to dinner at this probably maybe. It's uh, decided. <laughs> but like, just know like that kind of stuff, I guess like knowing that kind of stuff, I don't know. Like, like kind y- of, you're not interested in batting that around with your other knowledge of the thing. Yes. Ah, yeah. Okay. I guess maybe I can just compartmentalize, which is mm-hmm. probably the worst way to put it. But I think that's accurate. Like, I'm, oh, sure. I see I'm very happy to compartmentalize that stuff. It's like the movie and then how they made the movie. And you yeah. think of them And maybe it's because I'm so desperate to know stuff yeah. that I've just <laughs> developed that, that, that ability to like set it aside when it's time to watch the movie. Sure. I guess. Sure. Um, that's fair. So, yeah. I, I guess in the past, I just haven't had a lot of sympathy for people say that a, a spoiler, like spoilers ruin a movie. People say, mm-hmm. and I don't really believe that. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, I, I don't believe that, that either, to be honest. Yeah. Well, the fact that people think it does is kind of enough to make them grumpy. And yeah. I feel like that's a good enough reason to not spoil. Oh, yeah. For people. Mm-hmm. Of course. And so, you know, people can whatever. But like, I also think that like, yeah, knowing how the sausage is made or whatever, like that just gives you. But I guess it requires I, I, I haven't had a lot of uh, sympathy for that, but maybe that's. Maybe I should. Maybe I should really think more about how this is really more tied to my experience mm. and less about like a fact of how things are put together. I, 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 I want other people to know this stuff sure, as, as yeah. much as I want to know it. Yeah. Um, and I, I, like I said, I don't think it's bad that people and frankly, it's knowing things or be, trying to be ignorant of things because you want the, the magic to stay the same. Yeah, I guess it's a novel idea, but I don't <laughs> think that like yeah. that's realistic. Uh, it's just that's not I guess that's not. Yeah. I'm not arguing against that either. I don't know. Well, and I should make a point about what this knowledge is because yes. if we if if you see some behind the scenes thing about how a game is made, like yes. at a GDC talk, yeah, that's relevant to you as a designer, as a developer, because that will help you. You've learned something exactly. But but I, I think I want to make the distinction, and I think this is what you're doing. The the stuff you don't care about is information as entertainment. Yes, right. Like I know a lot about how a movie was made. And even though I like made films, that's not necessarily why I love behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, it, it is entertainment for me. And so uh-huh. I, I so I guess uh, I, I want to make it kind of clear that, yeah. like, I'm not accusing anybody who's uninterested in that in not wanting to know things. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. No, that's good, though. I'm right, glad right. you clarified. But it's definitely a, a difference. And I think that's the thing I, I'd like to think that gamers would be interested in behind the scenes mm-hmm. stuff and not just game developers or yes. aspiring game developers yes. would want to know that stuff. Yes. You know. 
but that's uh, so i mean it, concept art uh developer commentary right. the sort of uh, a close-up model like when you play smash do you like to look at the models in that menu they don't have those in the in the newest man really yeah they uh, well because there's so much content in that game they just put put them all in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so funny well yeah but before they used to have you know the trophies and you could look at all the trophies yeah 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 um the bat the arkham games had that and the, yeah and, they do and that was a lot of fun to peek around at like to see that stuff i didn't care yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i i mean no it, yeah. I, it is cool like to have those details and things i think that like i think a lot of people appreciate those things and like mm-hmm. being able to look at models and yeah. even if you're not interested in you know making 3d models or have any interest in in that aspect of games in general um just being able to see that and appreciate that i think is valuable for people yeah um, people like it i guess the, the pitch i'm making is like it's kind of easy to do right which yeah. is that's a dangerous thing to well, say it's like it's just a little extra is. work but it, is it is it that the the demand for it is low enough that however little work it takes is is in fact not worth doing I don't know. I mean, this whole, I haven't really thought about this at all. Like this whole conversation is really interesting because I'm reflecting on how I consume this content when it's available. Mm-hmm. And I realize that if it's low effort content on the developer side, I am actually not very interested in looking at it. Ah, uh, I see, I see. So it's something that's just like, here's some art that I toss into the menu. Like I'll go in there and I'll look around a little bit and I'll probably leave. But I have been tempted and I have purchased many an art book, uh-huh. yeah, on the like on the bookstore or bookshelf, yeah, because it's been curated so that it itself is an experience. It's a real production, yeah. Right now, I'm not saying everyone should go create an art book. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, right, right. But, That's past the pitch I'm, I was making. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but but I don't really I don't really know if just tossing it in there yeah. is gonna it would personally appeal to me you know what about i mean so one of the things that director's commentaries were they were popular because they were very cheap to produce yeah nobody prepared for them and some of the worst ones are the ones where none of the crew prepares for them and then they become boring yeah so you know you have to have that you know you have to be a podcaster for two hours yeah but like (laughs) um in games developer commentary valve i guess pioneered this with some of their games where you have these little uh, uh, uh points that are in the world and you walk up to them and you hit a button and then you hear a 30 seconds on on this part of the game. And yeah. that's useful because you can't do it linearly like you could a director's commentary. Yeah. So that's more work. But it is also kind of low effort in yeah. the sense that it is just someone saying, talk about this for a bit. Or rather, it can be low effort. Yeah. yeah. Um, it doesn't, it, it and still be high impact, yeah. I, I think. Yeah. Would, yeah. That, would that be a better example for you, Ellen? Yeah, I think so. That's, that, I'm not, yeah, like I was saying, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not calling for everyone to make an art book of your game, although yeah. that would be really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it can be something like that. Mm-hmm. I just don't think, unless it's a, it's a, unless it's something that I really care about, I'm not going to watch. The, I'm not going to watch the movie again with the director's commentary on, unless it's a movie that I unless it's like Schindler's List, something yeah. that I really care about. You know. Yeah. Um, other than that, like what what really seems to work for me as a consumer of media is like little factoids. So one of the things, one of the stories um, from relatively recent cinema that captivated me was the story of how they made the black hole in Interstellar. Oh, yeah. And how they like pioneered a whole bunch of processing, video processing and mathematics and everything and actually like led to some breakthroughs in black hole research. And they used... Yeah, there's like a paper or two with that research because it was lots of big data sets and stuff. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And like insane rendering power. And they spiced up the black hole a little bit like visually for the movie. But 
like the structures that you'd see around the black hole are mathematically accurate in the film. Mm -hmm. And then like a couple of years later, a year or two later, we, they were actually able to take that kind of picture of yeah, Ton 68, like really big black hole. I'm probably getting the name wrong because it's not really a name. It's a designation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the big, big, big black hole. Um, and it has this, you can like, you can recognize mm -hmm. the same visual structures that were in the film. That was captivating to me, but like it was like a five minute, well, it was a five minute read. And then I watched a YouTube video and then I watched another YouTube video. <laughs> so it did take me, it took the me down a black hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that's, that's an example of like a factoid that I found captivating. Yeah. I didn't, but it really, yeah. but for it to be memorable for you, it has to like, has to live on. It has to, has to be bigger in a sense. Right. Yeah, I, I kind of I appreciate that. Yeah, just like if I were looking at an art, if I were looking at an art book, you know, like there's a section on creatures, and then I'll look at all the creatures and I'll look at the concept. I'm like, oh, I see how this evolved. You know, yeah. Um, the science museum had a fantastic exhibit. I think it's a traveling exhibit. A couple years ago, when we could go to things, <laughs> yeah. um, and it, what was it? Game changers was it? Mm -hmm. And oh yes, yeah, yeah. It was this whole exhibit about the history of video games and some of the, like the big titles and the um like the, the breakthrough mechanics and some of the great designers and they had these fantastic exhibits that showed like evolving concept art from different games yeah games that probably did have art books you know published about them mm -hmm. but like it, it was curated as this exhibit and then the, the the experience of learning how the game came to life was a valuable experience in and of itself and i think that's all i'm really saying is that is what i find valuable yeah. But what you're saying, Mark, and the example that you gave is it doesn't have to be a museum exhibit. It doesn't have to be an art book. It's just maybe don't put it in, just like dump it in the menu. Yeah, there, there's, there's, there should be a line, I guess, to, to where it's like just, eh, whatever, might as well. And then like, let's actually think about how to provide some value. Um, I don't know. I think uh, maybe moving away from like in terms of like the effort that it would take because that's sort of like it's hard to pin down for every particular game yeah. or whatever. I think about Widget's Hatchel. I'm like, oh, it's be so cool to share some art, you know. But like we used the, all the whole Buffalo. Like we didn't. Yeah. Every pixel that I produced for that game is in it's that in game. The game. Yeah. And that was basically a result of like it being the most efficient way to do it. Um, and so there wouldn't be a lot of interest just because it wouldn't be the content wouldn't be any good. Yeah. But it, so it's different for every game. Right. Um, but I think about um, like what value it would have to a, 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 a to the industry to more to standardize some of this stuff. Mm. And I think about like people know what a director of photography is mm -hmm. because of DVD extras, right? Yeah. And so I I think one of the things we lament in games is how little gamers understand about how they're made. That's true. Even at a superficial level. Yeah. yeah. And I think that some voice of authority, someone who produced a game, saying. Oh yeah, this looks easy, but it was so hard. Like that's worth a a billion Kotaku articles on the subject. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. for, for for a gamer who likes that game. Yeah. Um, and that's why, and I think gamers do get really excited about when they read some of those developer stories. Yeah. And uh, I mean, our industry is so secretive that frankly we don't get as enough of those as we should. Mm -hmm. But an easy way to provide that kind of information, and it's curated, of course, from the developer or publisher, was to do a little bit of that, maybe even fluffy behind the scenes stuff. Like given, let people know, like. What what does a producer on a, on games do versus on movies? Mm. Like you know, uh, when you say there's a programming team, like how many people program this game? Yeah. Like I mean, do you see the mile long credits at the end of a thing, but like gamers generally don't have a good understanding of this, and it's not their fault. That's the yeah. thing that's frustrating about it is that like they end up their attitudes end up 
informing a, a sort of a toxic culture. But individually, like people who contribute to that, it, you can't always pin the blame on them because they don't know any better. And so I think it would, this would just be a way, I don't know, maybe this is just like giving it a task it doesn't need to be saddled with, but I think it really would would help. Um, That is a very fascinating point because I, I think that I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like with with respect to like DVD commentaries and stuff like that, I feel like they put those in DVDs to just sell more DVDs, right? Like, this is a side I mean, point. I think generally, well, you put things in a store to sell it. So I think- <laughs> no, I mean like if you already watched the movie in theaters, why would you want to get the DVD other than to watch the movie and over over and over again? And sometimes it does provide like, additional value in terms I mean. of the you know nineteen ninety nine and you spend and, on it. Yeah, and, for sure. Well, so argue so like it would provide that additional value to gamers as well i don't know yeah i guess i was sort of taking thinking that as i never really considered that but yeah, yeah. that sort of almost goes without saying yeah that's a good enough reason alone to do i mean more that's true stuff. too yeah um but i i don't know that it uh i mean it, it's an amb- ambitious direction i suppose but like i yeah. don't think that it will um i don't think it's going to change a lot because i think that the way that because a lot of these the large games like this like i'm trying to imagine the last of us part two right having de- developer commentary and it's just going to be what's his face Druckmann or whatever yeah just talking the whole time it's just going to be well, four not, hours of him talking that's about actually stuff. kind of important is because yeah. you're going to have the you're going to have the sort of auteur types who maybe don't know enough about the, oh, boy, the, the people Kojima. below them that are supporting the work or don't know enough about the tentacle stuff and but, can only speak to one element of it and that's the only element that developer that players are going to hear right so you'll get that yes but then and so that's why there needs to be a lot of this okay. because then you'll have different, you know what I mean? Like let yeah. a thousand flowers bloom. Sure. Like, you know, like <laughs> let Kojima talk about how hard he worked on every, I don't you know, know Mark. every bit of it. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, dangerous listen, road I, we're traveling down. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a protest I'd go to, to stop that. But, okay. but, but I, but I would, I would let that happen okay. in service of like it being much more common for for a lot of games to have stuff like this sure now uh, you know ideally i would like publishers to pay developers for a couple of hours to record those you know i'd like yeah. i'd right. like it to be you know i don't want uh, there's a thing just like with achievements there's an expectation uh, there's a there's a dangerous through line to, to this so like if a game doesn't have it it's probably not worth it or not high quality enough to whatever yeah but i, I, I let's just i'm going to assume that's not the big danger minefield that mm. maybe it is mm-hmm. because i think it does provide enough value and i think it's i don't know it just i think it'd be I think developers would like to do that. I think they people like being hear, heard. They like, you know, and uh, not only that, like sometimes that behind the scenes stuff is a way to do things like artist statements and sure. to to, ex, to explain your work, which yeah. I, I, you know, there, there's a sort of school of thought in artistry that like it should just live on its own and should and should and it's like, I think it's perfectly fine for an artist to like explain themselves. Yeah. Like then the audience can decide like, well, I didn't really get that from it. So, but yeah. I, it's nice to know. Yeah. And then there's that reflects on the quality of the work, right? Yes. Um, and so, but if it's like, oh, I know all that because the work explained that to me, then that actually also reflects on, even though the commentary becomes boring. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any harm in doing that. And I think it would be useful for, we talk, you know, games uh, producers or, or executive producers are talking about how like, oh, this Ubisoft game is not political. Yeah. And that's just like, you know, that's just a dog whistle to say like, it's okay, gamers, 
this can is buy my you product. can buy our product yeah. it's all right yeah even though like the narrative designers you know are like of course they're putting political storylines in their games and executives are not stopping them from doing that right mm-hmm. it's still pretty surface level but like yeah. you know it's not that they're actually against that stuff they just don't want to give the appearance but if we we're just more open about this stuff if we talked about this these stories yeah like people are perfectly fine seeing a movie that has a political position they don't dis- they disagree with. Mm-hmm. It, like that doesn't send them into a fury. They just understand what it is, yeah, and they can enjoy it for other things if they want to. And I feel like we could we could be in a more healthy position. I guess this is just all leading back to my main thesis of everything in games is just we should just talk more about it and be more open. Yeah, sure. uh, and this would be a, one method to do it. I guess I didn't sure. expect this to become a soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. No, no, no. And like you have you have convinced me hey. that bonus content makes sense i'm not gonna pay attention to it still okay but <laughs> well yeah. i'll take my wins where i can get them <laughs> but i well I, I think that a lot of that is is appreciative but i i, I can't help but feel cynical about it i yeah. think because like i think that the way that a lot well, of i don't think i've convinced either of you i mean because you both pretty convincingly said that like it's kind of boring i don't really need it that much i don't think feels like that's a consensus never... view well i don't know if i'd say that i think yeah. it depends on how it's presented yeah. to me if it and, well, I guess yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't excite you the way it excites me. Like yes, when I say true. there's not enough of this, you're like, is is there like not enough of this? Like I'm like, I guess that's kind of why there isn't enough of this, I, in in my view, because maybe there is. Maybe everyone yeah. thinks there is enough. Of well, it. maybe there is enough of it. I just don't know how to access it because it's not standard. There's not like yeah. a standard. Yeah. It's not like the DVD. Menu and maybe that's all it right is. There, it's just like a standard actually would be really fascinating if like somebody set a like precedent a for it. Technical standard. Yeah, if somebody set a precedent for that kind of thing mm-hmm. in the triple, because I think like this has to happen in the AAA space. Because yeah. I feel like indie developers are very comfortable talking about themselves, <laughs> um, including myself. I'm on this podcast for a reason, right? right, right. Uh, <laughs> but I think if like there was a standard for AAA to to uh, you know for them to disseminate that commentary and mm-hmm. talk about all of the different disciplines of game development, yeah, then you would get some of that stuff that you're talking about, Mark. Because I'm feeling cynical about it. Because like the way I'm thinking of it is Kojima's just going to talk and rant about how right. his game is amazing mm-hmm. you're thinking blah, about blah, the, blah. There, there's the special edition yeah. element of it that, that you're thinking of and i'm 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 thinking outside of that but to my own detriment because that is what will happen yes <laughs> right so i don't want that to happen i want it to be like um um nintendo going hey random programmer how did you yeah. make mario jump yeah well i mean think of the yeah. wada asks interviews oh yeah that's a really good Those model actually mm-hmm. yeah that's the type of information that people just love and mm-hmm. it's so cool to see how open those conversations were yeah in that series of interviews a, a new book about that a, a compilation book of that came out we should put that in the show notes oh yeah um and it's being very well received mm-hmm. um yeah i guess i just wish there were more of it it's, I, I guess my, it goes right back to what i said at the beginning i just mark I like wants it. more i would just mark wants more, more. Yeah. the way that i am like, thinking of it like okay so i'm playing metroid vision right now yep um and the way that like I would love to experience that kind of thing with this game is after I beat the game, having a menu option where I could toggle that on and it would be like, okay, there are 20, go find them. And they're like in the game mm-hmm. as additional unlockables. And oh, they could be okay. like color code. It would follow the mechanics, right? They'd be like color coded yeah. the way that like the different doors are color coded. Yeah. So de- uh, there's a developer commentary in, in, in Portal 2 works this way. Yeah. But they're not hidden to find like collectibles that's a new twist i kind of like well and i don't think you'd want to hide them like crazy hard but right, right. you know you'd be another thing you'd go find and then like you would have like the blue ones are from the developers and the, the red ones from the artists and the yellow ones oh from, i like, like that a lot you know, that is kind of cool because then you could yeah cat- you know yeah having a more categorization giving it more gameplay terminology and how you engage with it yeah oh i like that quite a lot someone do it <laughs> yeah triple a get on that I, you Mark, know like it. 
Mark, do it. Mark, do it. <laughs> Sorry, my headphones went out just then. I. <laughs> <laughs> I that would be cool, and I wish, like, I kind of wish that was a thing in like triple A's too, like, because they mm-hmm. always, because oh, man, I'm. What happened to me? Why am I so cynical? Triple A <laughs> games are very they're packed to the brim with a bunch of things, right? Yeah. So like they could, you know, they could slip in a little more developer yeah. content and maybe make it so that when you find the random bobblehead that you're supposed to find or whatever, um you unlock a thing and it tells you and the developers like um well, this is how I developed the model for this bobblehead. Yeah. How we got it to shake. Yeah, if it was just part of the normal, normal like as you played the game, but then you, every time you went back to the main menu, you saw that everything you saw in the game has an entry now. Yeah. Or something uh, to, to whatever si- degree of sanity made sense for yeah. that particular title. That would be a good way to do it. Too. Yeah. Or it wouldn't be like you just sort of like unlock as you play. Because that's the other thing is that that's always why a lot of this is behind a post game is because a lot of it has spoilers. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know the the director's commentary option is right there in the main menu. Like there's kind of a weird attitude mm-hmm. a little bit about mm-hmm. that. Um, that maybe we just need to get over. Um, but I also don't mind because requ- most people aren't going to bother to choose right. it. So you might as well gate, gate it behind there. It's fine. Yeah. Cho- choosing is an interesting. I'm really glad you mentioned that because I think choice is. I mean, choice is a key part of engagement, right? No matter what type of experience you're talking about. Yeah. But when I'm talking, when I talked to men- you know earlier, I mentioned like curating this content, this bonus content, so that it is a good experience in and of itself. Mm-hmm. I think choice is a key part of that. Like. And being able to to look at the behind the scenes content that yeah. pertains to something I'm particularly interested in, yes. like the black hole or the <laughs> big wave in Interstellar. Yeah. I watched those two, like the black hole intro scene. I watched it a million times on YouTube and the wave intro scene. Whenever I feel like being creeped out, I watched the big wave. <laughs> and I've watched those clips so many, many, like so many times because they're just really powerful to me. Um, I would like to learn more about those specific things. I don't really need to know about how they did the farm set. You know, yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. do not care. Yeah, there'll be some bonus features. They're like a, a EPK, electronic press kit content you'll see. Sometimes they'll be obviously promotional. So they'll yeah. be repurposed from when they th- that content was like sent to press in the run up to the film. Yeah. And then that's usually that's where a lot of these extras come from. It's why they're cheap to make because they already exist. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And some are made specifically for DVDs. Um, I actually I kind of don't care because it's like more content is more content. Sure. But I, sometimes you could see something that's really polished and very promo-y. Yeah. And it's like I already bought the disc. I don't need you to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then yeah, sometimes a lot of it is very skippable. Um, and so that choice that is absolutely important. And I guess that's what makes it like bonus, right? Yeah. yeah. Like I'm not really arguing as much as I would love to see that be something that could be implemented into gameplay. And th- and there are examples where that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I think the core of what I want more of is more options to choose those things mm-hmm. uh, less about making games more geared or 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 you know pivot towards that as a a must have or something yeah should i check out more bonus content i'm gonna look for it more now i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna peek i'm gonna peek in the menu no i already see that in batman i'm like i don't care <laughs> so <laughs> maybe the next batman they make her let's they're not making another Batman. What's the one called? The Suicide Squad game that yeah. they're working on. Maybe I'll look at that and go. Well, you could check out uh, Gotham Knights by uh, with the desi- lean design by friend of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Sampdorius. That's true. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll tell him that you uh, you saw it and yeah. he'll appreciate it. Well, and then that's... you'll have to look at it. Yeah. Now you have yes. To. <laughs> well, cool. <laughs> Peer pressure. <Yeah>. Great. <laughs> We've got a website. What? Yeah. Okay. And oh, you're probably so modern. You might be listening to this podcast on the website. 
which case, kudos for you. You've already discovered our secret. Um, secret website? It's not a secret website. It's that the website has a lot of things in it. Steven, why is this a secret? We should it's, be telling people. Yeah, okay. We Yeah, that's a good point. I guess we should talk about it more. <laughs> like right now? Yes, like right now. NiceGames.club is our website. We've got archives, all of our episodes, like over 2,000. 2,000. 2,000? Oh, dip. <laughs> you've 200 episodes. Not 2,000. We're not that old. Get to work. <laughs> Get, Get to, to work. work. I'm going to chain myself to this desk. I'm wrapping this cord around my neck. I didn't even realize it. <laughs> you can search all not 2,000 episodes yeah. <laughs> on our website. Well, now, see, what you've done now is you've set expectations way too high. Well, crap. Uh, <laughs> it is really good. The website is really good. Mark has done a very good job creating it. Well, us. thank you, pal. Yeah, there's <laughs> over 200 episodes, yes. and there's over 300 topics. Yes, um, that you can browse, and all of the show notes are are indexed and they're searchable. Right. And if you're like, I heard that thing they said about once, or like, honestly, at this point, you could say, I'm interested in this game dev topic. Yeah. Search NiceGames.club, and you will find information about it. Yes. You don't even have to search. You can just press a filter. Oh, filters. That's well, you can filter by episode type, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you're like, oh boy, those game jams are the best. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's multiple ways to view all the content on there. Yeah. And I think one of the things as the show started to get a little older, yeah. when we had a lot of stuff, we, we said, hey, this is valuable in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure it's accessible in perpetuity. Yeah. And so that's what it's there for. Yeah. And cool yeah. colors. Yes. Oh, man. All the colors. <laughs> Super great. I think I'm finally no longer stressed about the number 2000 okay good because we, we have that's not that's we don't have that we're 200 something can we be done with numbers for the rest of the episode yeah okay <laughs> well you can check out what we do have at nicegames.club what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. That was good. It's <laughs> good, you guys. <laughs> I should practice giving talks more. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, yep, okay. Um. My topic is giving talks. What does that mean, Stephen? What does that mean, Stephen? <laughs> Stephen, what does that mean? It's <laughs> a good question. Me and everyone else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I guess, like you know, we were just we just had an episode on GDC, um, and I, I guess I was curious about this because I, I was, I think I was having a conversation with like my brother on, like I don't really like giving talks, mm-hmm. or I don't think to give talks that often. I've done it a few times. Yeah. Um, but like my brother, he's always thinking about giving talks and like he really likes doing it mm-hmm. um and i wanted to know why so like part of this <laughs> part of this topic is y'all we heard steven why Charles? again i'm on a podcast we're just, we're just a voice Charles? in the darkness <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well but i mean we do prep <laughs> listeners might not believe it <laughs> we do prepare for these <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes in varying degrees uh-huh um very believably said <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, like the GDC episode, I didn't prepare, but you guys prepared. Yes, um, that's why there's three of us, <laughs> right? Because you're always going to get enough. Yep. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, nicegames.club/feedback. Um, but when you're giving when you're giving a talk, like for an event, so you know you've got like your IDGA 
International. IGDA. G. No, I got it wrong. Yep. Inter G D A. International Game Developers Association. TC. That whole thing is the name of this thing. What's the, <laughs> what's the, what's the acronym again? IGDA. No, no, that's the abbreviation. There was an acronym someone made when you oh, like, make it like a word. Igdaxi. Igdaxi. Yes. Igdaxi. Where are we going with this? <laughs> uh, you can give talks at those monthly meetings. That's right. Yes. Like, yes. Uh, I've given a talk. You guys have both have been talks. We have. Yeah, mm -hmm. we all yeah. have. Um, and so that's like a more casual event. You'd prepare for that, but you might not prepare as much for that as you would for giving a talk at GDC. Yes. Right. Right. Uh, to that point, though, <laughs> um, it's it, there are GDC talks that are pretty casual and yeah. maybe not super well prepared. Yeah. That are pretty good. Um, I think that the one one of the things about giving a talk, if you've not done it before, is a little scary. Yeah. Um, and honestly, it's not that hard. And you can kind of be bad at it and still deliver a good experience. Yeah, I that's fair. I think that's true. And also, um, it I mean, it's different for different people because not everybody likes walking up in front of people. And I think that's probably the biggest barrier. That's yeah. the it's biggest barrier. Less about whether you think you're interesting or whether the topic you have will be useful to people. Because both of those things are true. You are interesting, and your topic will be interesting. Yeah, almost universally. Yes, it's it is just about like how comfortable you are doing it. Yes, and and one of the ways you can get comfortable is by engaging in these like smaller community groups. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, or participating on panels where it's not all on you. Yep. Doing micro talks where you're part of a group and you just have five minutes to say something. Yes. Um, there's lots of ways you can sort of get into it if it's something you want to get into. Yes, which brings me back to why I don't like giving talks. Uh. Um, because I do, I like, I enjoy, I mean, I enjoy like, I guess being on stage and performing sort of. I don't like acting, but I like performing, if uh -huh. that makes sense. Like I like being me, but just people seeing it. Right, you but um, British is something I know you like. Gosh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, it's more like you but British, like British. Like, I, <laughs> sorry. Can you say that again, Mark? I can't actually. <laughs> okay, well, we Fair. have it on the recording. So. Yeah. <laughs> but so I like that aspect of it. But I, I think that I think part of the reason why I don't like giving talks is I don't like talking and people telling people what they should do, uh -huh. um. Or what I think they maybe should do, or give. I I I don't mind giving people advice. I like giving people advice, but I like that from a, as a personal level. You I, don't feel an authority. No, it's not even that because <laughs> I'm on a podcast again. Uh, <laughs> but you know, this podcast is almost a power fantasy. Yeah, these are all instructions, <laughs> listener. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, I I well, yeah, actually, I think there is some point to that. I don't like being I don't like being the sole authority or feeling like I'm the sole authority. Yeah, the talk I did at IGDA was not really me doing presenting a talk. I was like up on stage asking people questions, and people were answering them in the audience. Oh, the sidebar on that. Yeah, that was so cool, right? And that's another way to do this a little differently. Like yes. instead of like a lecture format or whatever, you could do it as kind of a Q and A. I mean, you yeah. were sort of like the daytime talk show host going up and down the aisles yeah, with the microphone awesome. pointed at people. It was super fun. And and you were like, you coalesced it together. You, you people had uh, comments and maybe, and they weren't prepared. So it was yeah. sort of like somewhat half formed. Yeah. And then you turned that in, you tied it to, like you became the facilitator. Yeah. And, and so you still did quite a lot of talking. Right. But it wasn't like a talk you gave. Yes, actually. Yeah. That's like another form of talk could be just you like curating a panel, yes. you know, getting mm -hmm. a panel and having a camp panel discussion. That's effectively what I did, but I did that with the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, that kind of stuff. That is much more interesting to me than Jake just going up on stage and saying, you should do this when you need to do this thing and you have this problem or whatever. That's that's not fair to people who have talks. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but like, well, yeah, a lot of talks do have that like um, self-deprecating or like disclaimery 
like, you know, here's some information, but it's just my perspective. Yeah. I think a lot of people have that same nervousness. Yeah. Well, and, and they do tend to express it in the talk. Yes. Um, and, and also people who are giving talks aren't, uh, I think almost always are not saying this is literally the only way you can do this thing. Right. You know, like no one is, no one's going up on stage and saying, if you're not doing it this way, you're bad. Actually, people do that, but they don't <laughs> do it in a way that they really mean it. Yeah. Right. I right, hope. Right. Um, if you are, stop it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, I, I don't think that that's the thing either. I just, yeah, I just think that, like, personally, I don't enjoy just disseminating that information to a group of people in that way. Yeah. I mm. think. I like the idea of talks making other people feel, and, and actually, I, a lot of what I get, the the talks that I have gotten the most out of are talks where, like, I go to this talk. And they're talking about stuff and I understand it. And I'm like, oh, I already know a lot of these things. And I feel better about myself as a person mm -hmm. uh, or as a yeah, developer. That's, you know? a, that's a good service to provide mm -hmm. people is, yeah. to, is to let them know what they already know. Yeah. So like yeah. doing a game design 101 or whatever. And like a lot of people have already heard those things. But just you hearing that and seeing that and going, oh, wait, I know these things. I am a game designer. Yeah. You know, that is really good and really powerful. And that's why I made my talk the way I did, because I wanted people to realize that I wanted the, the, the people in the IGDA audience to realize that they know a lot of the stuff that I'm asking them questions about already. Mm -hmm. They can already have answers to these questions. Yeah. You're, um, you're more, like there are different, there are different, when you're asked to like speak at an event or you sign up to speak at an event. Yes. That is one phrase, but it can encompass many different experiences, right? Like you don't have to give a keynote, you know, yeah. you don't have to be up on stage for 45 minutes in front of 900 people talking about your thing and yeah. like you're the sole focus of attention and you're not really taking any questions because there are too many people yeah like mm -hmm. that's one experience you i would encourage people when they if if and when they want to get that far go for it it's it is a lot of preparation i've done it not yeah. 900 people but like i've done it and it's uh -huh. it was worth it mm -hmm. um but like there's also like the more small small setting engagement that you were talking about you know like you you use the word facilitation or facilitator, Mark, and that really sounds like what you're doing, right? You're yeah. like facilitating dialogue. You're facilitating engagement with your audience. And that's also something you can do at a talk. It's yeah. your talk. Do yeah. whatever you want. Like Very true. One of the best talks I ever went to um, was it was a keynote. Okay. But the way that and this was a um, professor, his name is Dr. Carl Kopp, and he writes and um, researches game-based learning. Uh, and he was giving like an hour long talk and he was definitely like the focus of the room. Right. And there were lots of people in the audience. And one of the things he did to engage everybody is he got everyone on, was it, um, poll anywhere. Mm. And it's this website. You can just put questions, like put questions up and you, you show the question on the big screen on your, um, like on your deck. And then everyone like goes to a URL and you can just like do a live survey. Yeah. Ooh, cool. You know, yeah. like, so there there are ways to engage the audience. It doesn't have to just be you lecturing for 45 minutes. In fact, Mike, if I could offer one thing, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of work. If you're going to actually is. hold someone's attention straight through for 45 minutes, mm -hmm. like that is just as a presenter, that's a huge amount of work. Yeah. That's, that's the part that like, you know, it very, like, there's definitely talks where like the middle section will drag or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I'll walk out of there feeling like it was good, but like there are ways to make it sing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And some of that could like really good outlining, making sure you're imparting information, like especially with the technical talk. Yeah. You, there, there's 
information that you could deliver, but you know will not be retained. Yeah. Even though it's relevant. Yeah. So you have to find a way to like make sure you explain that here's some important information. I'm not going to explain it to you. Yeah. And then talk about something that is something that they will walk away with. Mm -hmm. Yes. Getting an understanding of like what what is important to leave people look, wanting to know more about versus what information do you just want them to know? Yeah. Um, and that's it's not easy. Mm -hmm. um, but it's doable. Mm -hmm. Presentation design is its own like job. Mm -hmm. Um, there were two things I want. Oh, there's a really great book called Resonate. 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 It's mm -hmm. an amazingly designed book. I want to say it's off the pictures, um, <laughs> but it is. <laughs> it's an excellent book on how to structure a presentation around emotional, like um, well, emotional resonance, like um, emotional impact, and it helps you like map what we want people to be feeling and like the energy level at different points in your talk. Okay. Um, maybe not as important for technical talks, but still something that's worth thinking about because people are going to remember mostly what they felt during your talk. Yeah. They will remember some of what you said, but I think, you know, from, from a learning perspective, <laughs> the technical stuff, give takeaways, put up, put like yeah. PDFs out there and let mm -hmm. people like, then you don't have to dwell on those things that aren't necessarily powerful. Um, the powerful part of your message will stick with people and then they will go back and get the technical stuff that they can from your resources. Yeah. 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 I, I, there's a talk I gave at, um, um, what is it? Uh, MDEV, the mm. Midwest developer conference in Madison. Yeah. yeah. And I thought it was going to be an hour and it was a talk on, it was the most technical talk I ever gave it was mm. intro to object oriented programming for game developers. Yeah. Because I had just started learning unity and I was shocked at how little it resembled object-oriented programming, which I had spent like six years teaching myself, right. th struggling, because I, I don't think I learned it the right way, but like I learned it, and I finally got there. And then I was going to start using some professional game <laughs> development tools. And I'm like, well, what is this noise? Yeah. And so I'm like, and, and, but my, my takeaway from that experience was, oh, I bet a lot of people who start with this don't actually know some of this stuff I clawed. At so I designed this talk, yeah. and I thought I had an hour. I had a half an hour. Oh, so uh, and that includes five minutes or 10 minutes or five minutes Q&A and then also like 10 minutes transition time. So it was extremely narrow. Oh, and so last minute, like an hour before I had to like condense it and it, I think it went fine. But because of the format, all of the like I, I'm almost certain very little of it got through because like I was able to trim it and make it. But at that rate, I should have had more takeaways and yeah. I had some URLs that had like some code examples and stuff but like I didn't do a good I didn't have enough time to leave it on screen for very long I didn't I should have I could have had some printouts instead that would have been more valuable yeah. and easier and less you know people would have been more motivated to do something with that and that, rather than quickly snap a picture or whatever yep. and I remember just thinking the whole time thinking like oh man I oh this is so terrible I did a really bad job and I'm like well it's that you can't like once every talk is different and the same talk can be delivered in different ways yep like I had really thought I could deliver the same talk in half an hour. And what I should have done is just delivered half the talk, maybe. Mm, yeah, and, maybe. And actually just cut content instead of trying to scale it back. Yeah. Sure. Um, cut stuff. <laughs> yeah. Cut stuff. Cut, that's just good cut, advice. Cut generally. stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, 
Yes, actually, I'm glad we're talking about all of this stuff because yeah. I did want to talk about like the benefits of toxins. I think we're bringing them up, mm-hmm. um, and and really how to do toxins. I guess we can transition into that, like tips for it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of wild that I'm like, I don't like tox, but here's how you should do them. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like telling people here's what they should do, but, but I'm telling you how to do it. Yeah, um, it's the burden of experience is what it, it is. Yeah. See, again, this is why I don't like knowing things. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I do like knowing things, listeners. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I don't know. But if you uh, knew the things he knew, well, dear listener. <laughs> Shiver went down my spine. <laughs> uh, okay, so th- so what I like to do when I'm doing a talk, I haven't done a talk in a long time, but what I like to do when I'm making doing a talk is I like to prepare a bit, like not a lot. Like if I if a speech, and mm-hmm. this is just a me thing. If I have a speech I have to write, I get nervous and I have a hard time with it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of examples probably in our episodes <laughs> where I have a script and I have a hard time reading the script. Um, I, I find that to be more comfortable because then I can just riff on things and feel comfortable riffing on things. I don't have to like, yeah. I know I have some points I need to get through, mm-hmm. but like I'll get through the points, but also make a joke and people laugh and it'll, it'll make me feel comfortable and make mm-hmm. everybody else feel comfortable. Um, I've also found that having a lot of pictures helps. Um, Especially since, like, you know, when people come to a talk, they want to hear you. They want to hear your experience. They don't want to read your experience on your on your um your PowerPoint presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so you talking is is important mm-hmm. in that. Um, uh, so in you reading out what your your PowerPoint presentation says is not as valuable as you speaking about a specific. Yeah, don't do that. There's yeah. never a need to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that being said, though, your slides should summarize. The statements you're trying to say because like it helps people focus helps yeah it's tough because you know people are going to dip out for 10 seconds yeah like they'll just stop paying attention yeah and your slides have to be able to get them back on track but they can't be a script yes it depends on what you're giving a presentation for yeah you know like you're presenting concepts or data i don't know like i've i've seen and made presentations that seem really effective where i was like you know the first part of it was really telling a story and i was switching slides like every 15 seconds just for the first few part of it because i was using the visuals on the slide to accent and like support yeah certain emotional beats right um but you know you make a really good point mark depending on the context like people might be on their phones they're at a conference they're setting up their next appointment like maybe it just depends depends Mm -hmm. a lot of people like to take pictures of slides now yeah so like you know it having that summary They'll come back to it and go, oh, this is what the, you said, even though they don't have the exact details of all the words you said. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do think that is valuable to have. I, so you t- I, I tend to think about things in terms of like thesis statements. So yeah. mm-hmm. I, I, whenever I do a talk, I always want the whole thing to have a thesis statement, mm. independent of what I'm talking about. I sure. want to have a point to it. Yeah. So uh, there's some artificiality to that. But like, like, why am I giving this talk? Yeah. This is the point I want to make about it. It helps you structure it. the talk. Yeah. Because yeah. then it, you, it's, a, it's a trunk. You can wrap all this stuff around you. Yep. And then, so that's good for the whole thing. Each slide has a function, has a purpose, has a, has a, here's what this slide is about. And at the end, you're like, and that's why this slide was about that. Yeah. Right. Something like that. Yeah. And then each bullet point is a little thesis that the little anecdote you say on that, the three bullets on that slide has to justify itself so that when someone looks at that slide later, they remember what each of those bullets were because you Mm -hmm. had, you actually, that was a chunk of data. It wasn't just like, um, uh, one part of your one like three parts of your idea what bullet point each yeah you know I, I still have a lot of bullet points on my slide probably more than most but uh-huh. like but i do try to make sure that they are that 
yeah, you can like riff along or you can, there's lots of information you're going to say. It won't make it to your slides because you just can't. It's not smart. Yep. But you want to make sure that someone looks at that slide later and can be reminded of it. Yeah. Of what mm -hmm. you said yeah. about that point. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So yeah, thinking about this is like a series of descending theses, I think. Is yeah. The way I think of it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Thank you, Mark. Um, another thing I think is helpful is to encourage people to ask questions. Find a way to do it. Yes. Um, you know, at the end, not during the, your presentation, because uh, that's rude. <laughs> um, one one thing that is like I kind of like doing is like making a fun but possibly slightly argumentative statement. Like coroutines are the best. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. That's not that argumentative. But like, argue with that. There were people getting out of their seats when you said that. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> but like you know, because at the end, like the Q and A, a Q and A portion of a talk is very important because like. You've been talking about a thing for a particular period of time or whatever, and uh, the audience is going to have questions so they can better understand that. Mm -hmm. And if you want, and 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 also those questions are part of your talk, the, and the mm -hmm. answers are part of your talk yeah. in the way. So like you want people to ask you questions. Mm -hmm. um, it is very discouraging at the end of a talk. You know you've given it, and it's been forty minutes. You've been talking for a long time, and you're like, anyone have any questions? And there's just no responses. Because <laughs> um, yeah, it's rough. And it then someone will like. Be like, okay, and then someone senses it's awkward, and then they'll ask an okay, like a pretty lame question, and then you'll yep. answer it, and then five more people will answer interesting questions, yep. like breaking yeah. the dam. It's a yep. very weird, awkward space that we've all been in on both sides, and it's really strange. When I'm watching a talk, I like to try to come up with at least one question because I feel like nobody wants to be that person to ask a question, but yeah. I don't mind being that person. Public service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, <laughs> so like I'll, I'll think of a question as I'm watching the thing, and then like at the end, I'll be like, yeah. immediately raise my hand. Mm -hmm. Um, or type or whatever. You know what's really actually can help with that is you yeah. made the point about um, like having a statement that's like maybe somewhat provocative. Yes. And that's really why you're not doing a tutorial. You're giving a talk, which yeah. means mm -hmm. you are important to that talk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not just the topic you're speaking about. Indeed. Yeah. And, and that can be a little bit difficult because you have to center yourself and you don't always feel like you're qualified. Like, yeah. I know this thing, but who cares about me? Right. Um, but it's important because then when question time comes around, people ask, what do you think about X? Yeah. Right. And Because so, uh, the there's always a like, oh, hey, you mentioned this. What about that part of it? That's also a good question. Yeah. But I think it's easier for people to to ask what your opinion is. It's easier for them to find that question. Yeah. Because it's and, and how it relates to your talk. Sometimes Q&A can be treated like, well, what what didn't they get around to that I can yes. ask them about? Yes. But it should really be about digging deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it, the more openings you provide for that, which means the more of your opinion, the more of your perspective. Yeah, it doesn't have to be your opinion. It can be your perspective, how you yep. view it, yes. how you came to it, yes. why you think it's important. Yes. Not necessarily why you, you know, but of course, or maybe why you have this opinion. Yeah. All of those things are ways for people to get in and could encourage that more. And then ultimately provide a better experience for the other attendees. Yes, exactly. Um, plants. Plants. Grab plants. Like if you're worried about that, if it's like your first talk. Oh. <laughs> you could Just also from have a homey plants. environment? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was relaxing and it <laughs> helps oxygenate yes. the air. No, I mean, like, if it's your first talk and you're nervous, grab someone you know in the audience or, like, make a friend go and plant them with a question, like, yeah, as yeah. a backup. You know, that's, yeah. that's something you can absolutely do. Like, one of one of my colleagues, we do, um, we've been doing webinars recently, and we just have a few questions, like, teed up in the background so that when it's time for Q&A, we just answer them. Now, it works really well on an online, you know, online format, right? Yeah. Because like oftentimes in these uh, virtual webinars and so on and so forth, like 
there are different channels that you can use for Q&A. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes people are just chatting in the general chat and they're putting their questions in there. And then you might have a moderator who's like trying to curate the questions or you're trying to watch it and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Some other channel, like some other tools have like a separate Q&A. Um, but not everyone's paying attention to those. and Not everyone's like able even to see those channels sometimes. So they don't know that you just wrote your own questions and you're just talking to that. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. You can find ways to make that transition into the Q&A period a little less awkward. Yeah. Um, and I find like if you can do that and structure that ex- that, that transition a little bit more, you're going to get a more robust Q&A like, session. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever, I don't know, I love giving talks, but like I've always wanted more time for Q&A. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I always run out of time. That's how interesting Ellen is, you guys. No. Is there's. Yes. <laughs> I just, is there's never enough time to get all of your all the information out of her that you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know a lot of things. You like knowing things. I, I do like knowing things. things. I like knowing things. I like talking to people. I don't mm-hmm. know. It makes it easier to. Yeah. I, I, I love talking to people. I love giving yeah. talks. And yeah. I'm still nervous every single time. Oh yeah, I get nervous too. I I'm am like, not nervous, and then I and then I start, and I'm like, oh right, this is the thing that makes me nervous. Oh no. <laughs> like, <laughs> Okay. It's that compartmentalization I was talking about. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I, I forget. I, mm-hmm. I do fine. Yeah. I, I really like doing it too. And yeah. a big part of it is um, because, uh, and I, as a team member on, uh, when I work with other people, I like document, documenting processes. I like, so I kind of, it feels very natural to me to do that independent of how good I am at any of it. I just, yeah. I kind of like, that's a mode I'm comfortable with. Sure. And, and that, but, and that's why I, uh, I don't get nervous. And th- but that's different from public speaking. Oh yeah, right. Which yeah. so I just conflate the two, yeah. and so then I get confused. And so preparing, I'm never that nervous. And then moment of, I'm like, oh dang, yeah. <laughs> like am I moving too fast? Moving too slow? And it's like I'm never as good in the recording afterward than I, uh, you know, that I watched as I was when I was practicing it. Yeah, you know. And I'm like, and it's like, well, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. I get so nervous. I get so nervous in the minutes right before. Yeah. Like then I start and it's fine. Um, and I'm ha- I can be able to settle into it and have a lot of fun. Yeah. In the moment, like because I'm talk it's no longer like i'm giving a speech i'm talking with people yeah and i can like you can read their body language and you can like react to the thing and you can yes. like, walk around maybe yes. depending on where you are and what mm-hmm. you're doing but yeah um you can make faces you can <laughs> put pictures of dogs up and you know that the picture of a dog is coming so like it's good um but yeah i always get so nervous right before i'm always like why did i agree to this, this is the worst <laughs> always i've been doing yeah. it for years always Right. So. And we, I mean, and we've been doing a podcast for a long time and we still get nervous about this kind of stuff. So um, it's not just you. Listen. Yeah. You know, uh, that's kind of a to maybe tee off from there. Yeah. So we do the show and this is a different experience, obviously. Yes. But there are some I mean, we do our preps and our outlines. Yeah. And that has a similar quality. Yeah. Um, in, in some sense. But um, Ellen, Ellen over there, like <laughs> this goofy clown show. <laughs> we, we do our preps and our outlines and then we deviate from them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but also, it, you know, you know, we've given sp- talks pre-pandemic in in person we've done right. them um during the pandemic at live events mm-hmm. um uh we've done uh i'm most of us if not all of us have done in in multiple formats including like a pre-recorded talk yeah you can edit or take two on like you know we've done all those they all have different flavors yeah like i was thinking about the ellen the one you did a while back that we aired we rebroadcast on the show um you devoted a lot of time to q a as part of the sort of meat of the talk near the end and and that was really good but and that was probably tough to do in a pandemic setting where it's all like taking questions from 
um, from Twitch chat, but you seem to find a way to make that work sort of effortlessly, which I really admired. I've practiced it. Okay. That's really where that came from, right? That's yeah. like the same format that I do webinar talks. Oh, it is the same. It's format. the same. It's oh, a okay, different, okay. it's a different platform, right? Like, so like doing a webinar on zoom or I mean, zoom is pretty good. Adobe connect is a nightmare, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's got a bunch of different channels. Um, and Twitch kind of has everything in one channel, yeah. which makes it a little bit harder to do, but it wasn't like 300 participants. Right. Yeah. So that was easier to track. If yeah. it had been like 300, 400 people, it would have been hard, but I've practiced that. Yeah. Um, it definitely helps when you have like a moderator to help out. Oh yeah. And so that's what would impress me when you managed that. Cause you just did it all yourself and juggled it just fine and kept it flowing really nicely. Um, but like it is difficult. I found anyway to do the Twitch chat and when we yeah. do our local events and it's nice when the host will come in and sort of relay mm -hmm. that or or fill in the gaps between questions with either discussion or questions of their own mm -hmm. yeah and so there's different so that's another thing if you know giving talks is giving talks but also like moderating is a whole separate that's true part of it that can you know if you don't feel like you're up to presenting but you feel like you could do it you know that's a good way to get your 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 toes wet is yeah to to to, to, to help someone else. Yeah. You know? And that help can, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to just be moderation. It can also just be listening to somebody else do a talk, like, yeah. you know, as they're practicing it or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I think that can be really valuable just to see other people do it in the pre the preparation that they have done um, to get to the, the, the talk that they want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's valuable. One of the things I know you wanted to talk about, Stephen, and we've kind of peppered this in throughout yes. the conversation, but we could come back here at kind of the, towards the end. Yeah is where you can give talks. And one thing I want to just mention is, especially for local talks, um, if you are looking at doing a local talk, you know, because you're looking into getting some public speaking practice and you're nervous about how it's going to go, talk to the moderator or the host of the event and say, hey, can we have a 30-minute prep session? Even if they don't offer, just reach out and say, it's my first talk. Can we do a quick tech check? Can we like talk together about how we're going to go and what we're each going to do? Yeah. Uh, even if they don't offer, just ask for it. And mm -hmm. that can really help you know, alleviate some of the multitasking you need to do the day of. You want to minimize that multitasking. Yeah. Or you can. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, um to, to to continue that transition. Um in, in where giving talks, like having local places you do give your talks at is really valuable, I think, because a lot of times when you go to a local place, you know the people there. Yeah. So like it yeah. makes it easier to do the talks. Um Yeah, so if you're just talking to your friends, if that's how it feels. Yeah then you'll you'll find that you're actually you didn't realize what there was to worry about mm -hmm. right yeah exactly um and, and and you can use that talk as like a testing ground i suppose for like larger for larger conferences um like gdc for instance mm -hmm. yeah um yeah so like i think that's a good way to like practice a talk and see if it uh, how it is received um or and get a better feel for how yeah. how it is received and how you want it to be received you know yeah um and you can also, I mean, you don't need a venue, right? Yeah, you can true. record a talk and put it on your YouTube channel. That's very true. I mean, what's nice about that is unless you already have an audience, you don't have to worry about anybody seeing it and judging you. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but then it becomes something that like can help you practice, it can help it, presentation style. And, you know, that maps pretty well to sort of an online uh, uh, talk as well. But it, it, a lot of the skills translate to standing behind a lectern as well. Um, and that can help you. And, you know, a lot of people do end up building YouTube channels out of that kind of content, mm -hmm. which yep. is just talks. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, if that's something you're interested in, but if it's just something you're like, I've, you know, I really want to do a postmortem on my game, but who wants to hear it? Well, just make it, go ahead and make it. Yeah. yeah. And then put it on your website for the game. 
Uh, like it's bonus content, right? Yeah. There we go. <laughs> tying it together uh-huh. but also it's available that you can share it for other folks and you know when you want to do a talk somewhere else and you need to apply and sincerely you can send them that link and yeah. you know show that you've done it before yeah yeah that's yeah that's really good yeah um and then i mean you can also talk at like conventions like packs i think that generally speaking though like those kinds of conventions like packs or e3 they have that they have that kind of content but i don't know that that stuff is recorded or is like well packs um, is all panels Oh well, for the yeah. most part, and yeah. and so I did one last year, yeah, but it was online, so it was pre-recorded micro talks, right? Is what it ended up being, yeah. Um, but generally the format is much more goofy, less prepared, more like which is fine, yeah. Like who's your favorite Pokemon? Let's argue about it. And, oh well, you know, which <laughs> yeah. is a perfectly serviceable content, yeah. Um, but it was a little foreign to me when when a bunch of you know friends of mine were starting to put together pitches for that. Sure, I had a couple of pitches together. And I'm like, this all sounds too like talky to be at a pack panel. Well, because it's a it's a it's a convention, yeah. so it's like a yeah. celebration, of right? It's games. a different audience, and yeah. that's yeah. So n- that's another thing is talking about where you want to go, right? You think about your content and who's it for. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're probably not going to want to talk about yeah. real in depth coding practices yeah. at PAX, but you you definitely want to talk about that at GDC. PAX spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, there's two reasons to get to give talks. One is you want to give talks. It's yeah. like perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. It's maybe a little bit like there's no need for you to give a talk, but you want to be a person who gives talks. You want to yeah. learn that skill. Yeah. And you do have knowledge to share. And that's the reason you want to do it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, no reason to be embarrassed by that. The other reason is you've got something to share. And, oh, I guess I should do a talk. Yeah. You know, and so either of those are good ways in. And, and that also is going to govern how you approach these other topics. Um, like you know the types of audiences and what types of venues and how long the talk is going to be the flavor of it yeah um you know whether it's going to be part one of seven <laughs> stuff like that yeah <laughs> um there's just a lot of variables and you can do whatever you want like yes. there's there's not there's not there's a bunch of good advice and hopefully you've gotten a lot from steven but um and it some... wasn't just me <laughs> you all gave us gave good advice well there isn't just one way to do it which yeah. allows ellen and i to pop in with uh, and and pepper your list of to-dos uh, yeah, with see, uh, additional see, I, context. I was basically just doing a talk right now, Hey-o. which is not see? what I like doing. Doggone it, I tricked myself. <laughs> but you like doing podcasts. I do like doing podcasts. This is fun. Yeah. <laughs> That's our show. Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and on our programming in general. Go to nicegames.club slash feedback. And tell us what you think. Please, we want to know. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at Nice Games Club, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and making a compromise. Or you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. Want to support the show? Yay! There are so many ways. You can give us a review on your favorite podcast app, tell your friends about your favorite episodes, join us on Discord by visiting nicegames.club discord, and we're on Patreon. As a patron of the show, You'll enjoy bonus content, extra jokes, and more. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. Did you say bonus content? Bonus content! Do, do we have any of that planned for this episode? Uh, well, we have a whole section on bonus content, but that itself is not bonus content. Oh, sense. okay, okay. But there is bonus content. Well, I think we were going to look around your room a little <laughs> bit. And I was going to ask about all this stuff on the walls. Uh-huh. So we might do that a little bit after this. That's the okay, definition okay. of bonus content, if I've ever heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> There's some weird stuff here. I, I have to say, uh, hearing Ellen's comments up to now over the past few weeks, 
this is going to be worth paying for. Yeah. So, <laughs> so check it out. Patreon.com slash Nice Games Club. And so, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. What did the teapot say to the chalk? Nothing, you silly. Teapots can't talk. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.